Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIMP Coach, and this is episode 84. Man, getting to 84. 84 episodes. I absolutely love it. I am going to dive right into it this week because I always do this intro after I've recorded the rest of the podcast, and then I know what to talk about or intro to, and I already see it's an hour and 40 minutes long, but a lot of good information in here. One, I followed up with another um, phone call with one of my athletes. It happened to be recorded because the previous call I had recorded on Skype with software that you can record on Skype directly, and um, it automatically recorded the next call that I made via Skype. And Mikkel, Mike as I call him, is the athlete of mine that did the um, 30 days, the length of Sweden with horses and himself running. So his Horses did the morning, he ran the afternoon, 10 to 20, even 30K a day for 30 straight days from the Arctic Circle all the way to the bottom of Sweden. And he did it to raise awareness for the environment and a variety of other things and animal cruelty. Amazing guy. And so I called him and we had a follow-up call to sort of go through the race or the race, his event. I say race because he asked me about Attilo, so I say race, but um and to check in with him on what the next adventure is. He had taken six weeks off, allowed his body and his life and his infrastructure of family and horses and what he does in his farm all to reassemble themselves after you know, a month and a little bit more on the road and doing his adventure across terrain. You know, it's really cool to know, as you listen to it, remember, in Sweden and many Scandinavian countries, you have the right to pass through property anywhere. So, um, and it's quite common in England too, I think in all of Great Britain. But as a hiker, camper, so forth, you have the right to cross property. And so you have the ability to go from one end of the country to the other end of the country by crossing through people's properties and property lines and somebody's private property and farm. And many countries, especially up there, also allow for you to camp one night on the property. Now, they might make some rules around it, like where to camp or where to pass through the property. But in most cases, it's a very open and generous rule like that and and they're quite proud of that passage um, culture and so he did that that's how he was able to go the length of sweden 1800 kilometers i think it was something crazy like that and uh Yeah, so we follow up there and talk. I jump right into the conversation. I'm sorry about the recording like that, but um, I just sort of decided to continue the recording from the previous call. Well, it recorded, but I didn't hit the right button. And so um, it jumps right in, but you didn't miss anything. It was basically the first question was, how was Attilo in Sweden? And so, and then I jump into 50K and 50 mile and run pacing and training for it and ultra endurance and first 50 miler type of training and all kinds of tidbits and training insights like that. And finally, and not finally, it's mixed into the podcast here this week is sort of talking and reflecting about all the great, um, impactful, um, emotional, caring, thoughtful 
emails I received with response to my reflection and my going a little bit deeper on the podcast, I think it was two weeks ago. And, um, you know, being vulnerable and a little bit more grateful for what it is that we're doing and what we're building with this community of you, the listener, you, my athletes, and um, me with all of you. And so I, I thank you for all that. And again, it just inspires me to talk more and share more and drive more content and growth and passion and self-care and awareness and health and fitness. And heck yeah, we can do whatever adventure we want if we prepare for it and um, in a healthy way, in a sustainable way, in a way that also means that we're a little bit fearful of it and it's dangerous and it's curious and you know, it keeps us on our toes because that keeps us motivated. And I talk a little bit about off season and when the motivation drops and when we're not as excited to train. So enjoy this week's podcast. Um, and yeah, let me know as always what you think. And yeah, I, a lot of, lot of training information in this, this one week, no more um, general talking, but just real good insights. And you hear a conversation with an athlete on how we sort of look to plan the next adventure and how he guides me with regards to this is what I want to do. And I start thinking about, well, how are we going to do that and what that means? And it now allows me to go back to the drawing board and build his training plan for the next six months, 12 months, two years, as you'll hear. So enjoy it. Well, I should say this time returning to Sweden was uh, fantastic. <laughs> the weather was great and um, there is not a cloud in the sky. It was warm. And despite having um, last year's experience as sort of a once in a lifetime and unique experience, it was nice to also uh, see this end of the spectrum of how a sunny, warm, um, pleasant Sweden, Stockholm yeah. archipelago could be. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it has been very nice this summer. It has been very warm and dry, but but also very nice. So I can imagine. And the water was looked just amazing uh, oh, yeah. from the videos what I saw. Yeah, it was, uh, it was ridiculous, quite honestly. I didn't think I was in the same location as last time. <laughs> <laughs> so was it the same route or... Oh yeah, it's always the same route, but it was just, you know, as I said, uh, it, I felt as if you could, there was a lane line attached to each island and we just yep. swam in a swimming pool versus in any type of Baltic Sea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it, it sure is a um, fantastic event. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, this year I looked, I didn't know it existed until I heard that you did it last year. And then I looked at it, and then uh, also because you were in it, uh, I followed the live feed. It was amazing. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's good. It, it was a well organized, looks like. Oh yeah, very well organized. The live feed and the coverage is spectacular. Yeah. Very well done. And then also, you know, quite honestly, Sweden and Norway and Finland, there's some amazing events up there, and um, all very well organized and all. You know, uh, high quality, fun, adventurous type of events. Cool. 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm pretty new to this whole world um, uh, of this kind of events and, and experiences, so I basically know nothing. Uh, I'm used to a different kind of sport. Yeah. Uh, with with the handball, so so it's it's fun learning all this stuff. Yeah, and then um, so in hindsight, on your adventure of uh, mm-hmm. thirty days and. The horses and the running and some days running more and so forth. Um, where do you stand now in looking back upon that? Well, it, it, I, I see it as a great, great learning experience. Um, and, and also for me, it's a, it was a big achievement because uh, as, as I calculated, I ran uh, a third of the whole distance, which was 1900 kilometers. So in total, I ran a third of it, which I think is, is for me, it's quite an achievement because I haven't been running that much at all. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen some extreme scenery uh, while running, which which also is just my what I love in life because I'm born in nature and, and I've been living in nature all my life. So it's just my kind of way. And I found it to be very poetic, actually, somehow. My, my thoughts became different. Uh, than than usually so, so my thought patterns and, and the way I think about things are a lot different now than before they're somehow more poetic even though it's about Armenian things it's, it's a little bit more poetic now yeah and uh, somehow I can't describe it but well you get time to um, to think Yes, and most of us don't have that opportunity to no. be in nature alone and have no priorities. And one or two days do not do this. What you no, did no. for many weeks allows for that. Um, and I, I would call it perspective for you, right? It, the, yeah. It's poetic because you have a different lens at which to look at the world with. Exactly, exactly. That's That's the way to put it. And, and even I've been meditating for many years and, and doing a lot of different kind of meditations, but they don't give you the same kind of oh, no. mental peace at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're so, absolutely hitting on the points I've been making over the last few months with regards to nature and meaning and how we are missing some of that in our soul and in our society because yeah. it is part of who we are and because we don't have these journeys as young um, teenagers or young adults anymore to sort of connect with nature and in mm-hmm. our own ability to have confidence that we can be out in nature. Let's say, um, you know, many weeks of camping or, or, or trips in nature so that that creates a foundation for the rest of our lives of knowing yeah. that we can go out and do it ourselves. Um, yeah. It's a big part of us missing. And I find it with every single athlete that does an ultra endurance event. And most ultra endurance events are out in nature because you can't get that type of distance in an urban area. No. They all come back with a completely different understanding of how their body is wired and how it is optimized and at its best when it is outdoors, alive in nature. Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of the second thing I, I really learned is uh, to kind of do the body scan 
mm-hmm. um, and kind of almost do it um, almost unconsciously. Like it's 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 just happening. Yeah, it's kind of always going on, and then the alarm sets off when something is is out of balance or is is out of uh, sync with what it is, and it comes almost immediately. And then I do more consciously a full scan of what it could be, and, and really learned a lot. And the experiences with the heat running in 35 degrees uh, Celsius here and, and no wind. Uh, in the middle of the countryside with no forest and, and blazing sun uh, and kind of hitting the wall there uh, for real and and getting blackout and stuff also taught me something very valuable. Uh, and then it was quite funny because when I got home from the event, I listened to one of your podcasts where you actually talked about the... Um, uh, the temperature and running in the heat, yeah. and then I understood exactly what yeah. happened. <laughs> well, if you if you think back to when you were running in the heat, keep in mind that when we're running in the heat, we go more into our body and into our head. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. I don't know necessarily the the full physiology behind it, but I suspect it has something to do with just as our body protects the core. Um, organs and functions. I also suspect that the mind pulls back into itself and um, focuses on its ability to remain um, protected and strong within it and less senses towards the outside and more senses towards the inside. Mm. Yeah, it kind of goes into uh, like when you're in not exactly the same when you're in shock or, or when you're very stressed, it kind of gets single-focused and narrow-minded. But it, I, I guess it's something the same because I don't remember much of the last 10Ks of that yeah. because uh, I looked at my sports watch uh, and it said 24 kilometers. And then the battery set out also, I think, because of the heat. And then my, uh, my phone also where I had the GPS and the route also uh, went dead uh, at almost the same time so i didn't know where to go i could just follow like the road i was on and go into the nearest big town to find a store uh, and we found out it was a 10 k's from that point uh, and i don't really remember that much of it my mind kind of just went into yeah like you said protection mode or something yeah uh, yeah and just to get to the place where i knew i could uh, get help And then the other unique thing about your experience and your perspective and nature and all that is that you got to share it with animals. Yeah. With your horses. That was that was was interesting. It was it was a challenge. Yeah. Because uh, the first challenge was that I could I haven't been able to practice riding in mountains, like help the horses train for mountain climbing, uh, which the first one week uh, to one and a half week um, was all about just mountains, mountains, mountains. And they were long and they were steep, some of them. And so that was quite a challenge. So they they went slower than calculated. Uh, and uh, I had to kind of back off because their hooves get very uh, warm also. 
when they walk that far and, and trot that far, and they can't cool down in the same way as we do. So I had to kind of adjust that and give them some rest and, and walk through lakes and rivers to, to cool their feet down also, uh, <laughs> so they don't, don't kind of run off their hooves. Yeah. Uh, in order to kind of make some sort of pace with them. Yeah, they were your uh, so partners. So that was very interesting. They they were your partners. Yeah. yeah. I had I had they, to worry they, about a partner in during Otelo, and <laughs> you had you had your partners, <laughs> two partners. Yeah. For yeah. thirty days. Exactly. And we were also somehow tethered to each other <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. and, couldn't, and couldn't go anywhere. So, yeah. uh, except for one, one time where we, uh, we you lost were supposed them. to have a rest day. I think you uh, said you in, lost them. The, yeah, we lost them. They, they, <laughs> they, they went out of the pasture. So I had to climb up a mountain like eight kilometers following the tracks in the, um, the hoof tracks in yeah. the dirt. I remember uh, reading that in your log yeah. for that day. You said, well... My rest day was not very restful. No, not at all. It was 24 hours of horse searching in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, and they were probably happy. They're like, this yeah, is yeah. great. Yeah. And I was actually very proud of it. And it's kind of a testament to the way I, I keep my horses and train them. Because I trained them to solve puzzles and problems and uh, look for solutions and find a relaxed way out. Uh, and um, what they have done is that they have found a water hole in the middle of, of this mountain size where it's just like it was just like a mud puddle but it was a water hole where all the animals went to drink so they had found that and then they had found almost the only place where there was enough open space where they could uh, stand and have a clear view they had the, the forest behind them so they were uh, protected from the weather and uh, it was kind of up a little bit so they had a big, very big view and there was food so i was very proud of them <laughs> they had... stood there when when we found them and i whistled for them they stood and waited for me to come and get them like did, nothing. You, did you say they had a view <laughs> yeah they had a view they had a very nice view uh, of the whole kind of the whole mountainside uh, so they could uh, spot predators if they were coming and that's kind of the horse thing to do. They like big fields, and they didn't have a big field out on uh, up on the mountain, but they had what was kind of similar, uh, a big um, space where they have clear-cut the forest, yeah. and it had grown up, uh, and then they were standing in the, in the edge of the forest and looking out of that kind of field to see. And there were, like, there were big moose. I, thought, I think we saw four or five full-grown mooses just like 50 yards from them 100 yards from them and there were fresh bear poo and and wolves living there also so it, it was um, it was an interesting rest day yeah that's northern sweden for you that's true that's nature yeah, let me ask exactly. you a question on and uh, before we go into what's next yeah. for you um and of course i love this these reflections from your journey um, mm -hmm. Did you notice anything different in the horses after a month in nature, or are they already, were they connected either way, or did you notice that they were more vibrant, more alive from having this experience as well? Uh, well, the horses are a little bit different than we are uh, because they don't migrate. 
so so for them it was uh, it was not a natural thing to do mm. um, they 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 kind of walk from pasture to pasture on a mountainside but they stay on the same mountain usually oh. uh, out in nature their entire so, lives yeah entire lives oh. but it, it's it, it's like the big rocky mountains oh yeah, yeah of course of course yeah, 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 yeah. they stay in, in in somewhat the similar area unless there is a forest fire or something then they migrate mm-hmm. uh, so what i experienced is that they had to go through so many things uh, like big big cities uh, mm-hmm. that we went to the town center and a lot of people and buses and and trucks and children and you know whatever uh, and they they got more courageous through the journey than i could ever do uh, back home interesting just because of the experience and uh, the way i i'm having my horses and, and, and training them is is to build natural partnerships not just a trained animal but a partnership where they are as much into the communication and the the um, the results and effort of the things that we're doing as I am, uh, and as much uh, free in their um, what you say communication in in what they want or don't want uh, as I am. So it's not just a dictatorship where I say we have to do this, yeah. but basically I I propose something. And they give me an answer, and then I work out from there. So that was very interesting to kind of have that down through the um, through the country. And and in the in the first beginning, they said a lot of no's because of the mountains. It was too. It, it was very hard for them uh, because it was different muscles they had to use to go up and down as much as we did. Uh, so that was some some negotiation there and then when we went into town one of my horses is more skeptic than the other one and uh, that took a lot of courage and he said no a lot there also but in a different way that was more based on fear so i had to kind of uh, help him and coach him and guide him and help him through the uh, the difficulties and, and out on the other side so that's kind of what i experienced and then also coming back uh, the whole exercise that they got has made them even more healthy and, and happy back here and even more playful with the others. Oh, interesting. So, mm-hmm. so, so they that, were, that, that's a fun they were thing. recharged spiritually as well. Yeah. 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 In, in some way. Mm-hmm. And also because of the, the challenges that they had had to overcome in order to do this, uh, they kind of have grown as individuals. Mm, interesting. Mm. Again, um, through nature and through adventures and through yeah. their own overcoming and, and probably pushing themselves quite dramatically, they also have become better, better animals. Yeah, better individuals. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because it was it was a lot tougher on them than it was on me because of the heat. Yeah, because yeah. they can they can't cool down as we can. Gotcha. Of course, you picked the warmest summer in many, many years in Sweden and all of Europe to do yeah. your adventure. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, what's next, Mike? Well, I have um, 
have two adventures, but one of them is is gonna have to wait because it it, it requires a lot of um, um, permits and stuff, and I don't know at all if it's going to be possible. But that's the Kilimanjaro thing, where I want to climb uh, the mountain on horseback. Uh, but then first, uh, I would like to try, not try, I would like to do uh, a run around the mountain uh, of 250k of in, in Kilimanjaro. Or, or, yeah, the Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Yeah. Uh, but run around in two days, like 125 one day, one rest day, and then 125 again. So in three days. days. Yeah, in three days. And, and then after that, ride up on top. And so the uh, um, and and did I I did you say with horses on the run? No, no, oh, oh, no just, just you. me. Okay, just me. okay. Yeah, no, um, no, no, I wouldn't put my horses through that. Not in Tanzania. Okay. Um, all right. That and, will, uh, that that's a bit further out in the future because it requires a lot of permits and and, and I just don't have that. Uh, with yet. regards to so, the run or with regards no, to, to the climb. Oh the climb. yeah, and the run. Um, is that at, uh, do you have a course charted or is it part of an organized, because there is a run around Kilimanjaro. No, that... I don't have that yet. I just made a Google uh, trip around it Yeah. Uh, and kind of looked the distance and, and all that. My plan for that is to go down there. I have some students down there, so I'll go down there and then kind of check up on the route and where to go and, and all that stuff. And then, but only when we have the permits to climb the mountain because otherwise there's no need for doing that uh, for going down there and, and looking up okay but I'm, so, I'm talking about for your run right now is that yeah are you are you waiting for your run also to for a timeline with the permits to ride a horse up or are you is one independent of the other no no they are they're kind of linked together so it will be three days running and then one day resting after that or two maybe oh and then start, okay. starting the, the climb up so so they, it's kind of one adventure oh and okay that's the whole thing with the climate cowboy thing is to ride and run or run and ride in one adventure oh okay uh, okay so now i understand that okay concept. okay so and... now i'm working on another concept <laughs> uh, uh, which, which I know I can do. So the, before we leave Kilimanjaro, that's um, yeah. that's out in the distance, and we don't know if that's 2019, 2020, um, but we that's the that's what we're working eventually yeah. big picture towards. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's kind of the big one-time adventure okay. thing that that's on the bucket list okay because i've always wanted to climb a real mountain but i think it's a bit boring just to walk up kilimanjaro because everybody can do that so nobody has has been riding a horse up so that could be fun to do <laughs> i know i don't want to take away from people who have climbed kilimanjaro it is a big thing but for me it's not that big a thing yeah I, uh, to each his own everybody has yeah. their own adventures it's fine yeah um, so, but but I know it won't be 2019. Uh, it could be 2020 or or longer. Okay. That. So, but I know it won't be because I simply don't have the time now because we don't have gotten the we haven't gotten the permits yet mm. to plan and organize the whole event because I need it, there's a lot of things going into that mm. uh, with the mountains. I have a, a good friend called 
Renate Klumska, which is uh, a, a Swedish and Czechish woman who has climbed Everest and climbed basically all the mountains in the world. Uh, she was the first Swedish woman on top of Everest. Mm. Uh, and she has been a guide down at Kilimanjaro. So she knows basically everything down there. Okay. And she's helping me with all that, uh, as well as a local guiding company. And then, um, then that's kind of where we are with that adventure right now. Okay. Is getting the permits so we can start really planning for all the rest. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. all right. So we have that. So, yeah. And the, the next adventure, uh, which... Uh, hopefully will be in 2019 it depends on the sponsors and the the charity organization uh, which is to go through four countries in four weeks uh, and what i'm thinking is uh, 500 kilometers in every country so it won't be that much longer than my swedish project but the days will be longer because i have more I'm in better shape, I have more time to train, and even I have more time to train my horses for that specific thing. Mm -hmm. And now I know how it is and, and what it takes. And that is to, uh, to do 100 kilometers every day with 40 kilometers of riding and then 60 kilometers of running. And then I'm thinking I, sh I should be prepared to do 60, maybe 70 kilometers a day. So I have some flexibility in the riding and then if the horses can't. Yeah. Yeah. And then how many, and then where's the recovery in there? Cause I know you so, have recovery plan. From Monday to Friday is, is uh, riding and running days and then recovery Saturday and Sunday where are also switch countries. So, okay. So, so the it would be European countries. So we move, move locations, move countries, move logistics and resources yeah. on the weekend. Yeah. And we um, do the event, the adventure, the, the okay, on the weekdays. And so yeah. this sounds like four weeks again. Yeah, four weeks. Okay. So four times five days. Yeah, or, or, or four times one week if you count the logistics and moving days. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, do, you, do you have countries that you would like to hit on this? Because... There's plenty of countries you can do many like, if you choose Lithuania and little countries you can yeah. do a lot yeah. <laughs> or well, flat well, flat the, countries the fact one is not well Luxembourg is a, is a very quick one yeah um, the exact ones is not determined yet uh, because I have two options either I go through uh, all the four Scandinavian countries Denmark Norway Finland and Sweden okay and then finish in Sweden or I go through uh, some European countries like uh, Italy, France, Germany, and then Denmark, uh, Denmark, Sweden, or Scandinavia as one country uh, going home. Yeah, basically. connecting, connecting, uh, or something like that. But it, it, it depends a little bit on the uh, the organization, the company that I'm uh, that I'm uh, in the process of working with, uh, okay. because uh, they are kind of the ones who need to help with the charity uh, thing. Okay. So, and and um, this is to raise awareness again towards the same cause or is there yeah, new... it will always be about the environment, the riding uh, horses and running. But mm. this time the cause is uh, rise against hunger. So we will pack meals. Uh, so it won't be a fundraiser this time. 
uh, it will be like we will have meal packing events on Saturdays uh, where people gather and then we pack meals which are then sent to um, people who don't have food, uh, mostly in Southern America, okay. South, of, uh, South America. Okay. Uh, and and um, my initial plan is to have one every Saturday, uh, but I, it, it's not set in stone yet. Okay. So, gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the, uh, the timing for this? Um, the earliest is July uh, to, uh, 2019, but I, th I think uh, with the experience of the weather, I actually think that September would be a better month to do it in. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think it would be September or maybe October, um, but more in the late summer, fall yeah, yeah. Uh, time. So, but in a year. At least cool evenings for the horses. Yeah. And, and for me, because that was that was the last ten days was the biggest challenge for me because because of the heat and the way we slept, uh, I I got approximately on average four, three to four maybe five hours of sleep every night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because of the heat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and also so, important will be the mornings that they are yeah. remain cool so that you can take advantage of those morning yeah. hours and get further into it especially with the horses if you can start at 6 a.m while it's still cool in the in the autumn that way um by the time it really gets hot you're in uh you're in uh you're a good ways into your day mm. all right well um okay so that that would be that um so we'll need to do some uh, preseason strength and endurance and work around that. Yes. Um, and we'll want to continue to log some running miles with regards to a, a platform. Nothing to go big yet, but just to stay connected with endurance. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in keeping the the, the integrity of our body and our structure strong, cartilage, yeah. muscles, yeah. bones, um, so that they remain stimulated and strong for when the bigger stresses of volume come, we avoid injuries and have good um, um, core strength, not core muscles, but core in inside yeah. our body. Yeah, foundational strengths, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But also ligaments and meniscus and cartilage yeah. and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay. I'm, all, I'm all yours, basically. I have no experience. I've learned tons from your podcast and also from your training and the experience, but but I still <laughs> see myself as um, a rookie and, and I, just, I just follow uh, the... Uh, well, well, here's the beauty of it. Um, a few things. One, um, our last training, we, we didn't do much because you oh. were so new to running and um, you're also a bigger framed person that yeah. um, we wanted to be smart, avoid injuries and just gradually bring up the volume. We knew you had 30 days um, of an event and that it is one of those events and not many athletes have this opportunity, but some that during the event itself, you were getting fitter already. 
So yeah, yeah. that was I definitely felt that. Yeah. So that was part of the process, knowing that we want to get you into it so that the first week of the event you can sort of sustain and manage. And then the 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 first week itself creates fitness for the remaining two, three weeks. That's number yeah. one. Secondly, yeah. we know and as you just described, that you have a fair amount of recovery that you build into these days, a, a day off here or for your next adventure, two days off. Now you have, you're building in other stresses with work and logistics and yeah. charity time and so forth. So it will not be full recovery. But again, you learned from this last event. The big thing that you hopefully learned is a big few things. One is how you have the um, mental fortitude, the mental strength to to persevere through this. So you've yeah. done something, you know you can, you know you'll figure it out, you know that there's solutions and there's no hurry for anything and that you will yeah. get it done. So that's, that's huge confidence for your next event and adventure. Um, mm. Secondly, the other thing is, is that you also learn that you have the ability to stay healthy and, and persevere through it like that mm. um, and fueling and so forth. And thirdly, that you, you figure out the training time to get through this all, right? So yeah. the consistency and so forth. So taking all this into account, we build upon that gently, um, less an introductory plan like we did for the last adventure, knowing now that I can see how strong you were and how you were able to figure it out. We can push beyond that now and, and create a different type of training. Um, versus being very careful on the first go around. And so, yeah, I mean, part of that is, you know, your ability to um, put together many weeks in a row. And I think that's, um, that's unique, again, in, in the form of the adventure, as well as knowing that you build momentum through the event. Um, like in the Tour de France for cycling, a lot of the cyclists come in not so fit on the first week. Yeah. Um, more healthy, more with a foundation, but they know they will ride themselves into better shape in the second yeah. week so that the third week they are not as exhausted and fatigued as others because they started off um, not quite as... Um, uh, 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 the, 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 the blade was oh. not as sharp. It was yeah. more dull yeah. and they created the sharpness with the event and the same thing we mm. would want to do for you. Yeah, that's right. also kind of my thoughts. Yeah, and you understand how the training works now. You're matured more in listening to your body and the fueling and the needs and the, the recovery and so forth. So the collaboration becomes different now than it was before with it more being one way and me just telling you what to do. Yeah. But I also know now I can trust your feedback and input with regards to, okay, if he says he needs a few days, he clearly needs yeah. a few days. <laughs> well, I do have one thing that, that we might can change, uh, and it's not to have big days in weekends because my work with the horses and, and, and with our health business, health business uh, is mainly on the weekends. Okay. Uh, so if we can just have like on Thursday, Friday or something like that, uh, yeah, be great. Well, you won't have any I, real big weeks for um, you know, for some time, we're going to build back up 
your structural integrity and gradually increase the running volume, but very, very gently. And also then we will take some time there. We pull back from the running, um, maybe over the holidays or something to reset and create a new platform and then reset yeah. and create a higher platform and so forth. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of, of doing the event in September. So if we just focus on that and not July, yeah. uh, I think it will be great. So we have a, a full year. You know what's uh, going to happen, Mike. You know what happens now. Uh, next, 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 winter, next summer will be the coldest summer on record. <laughs> yeah, and, and also the coldest winter. And the coldest September. <laughs> and, and, exactly. and you will sit there and go, okay, maybe I should have done July. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's what happens yeah. when you call yourself the climate cowboy. It's exact opposite of what you planned. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so. No, well, I, I think also for basically the timing of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. It would be great. I agree. Well, good. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's well, take great. it from there then. Great. Uh, another question, even though it's not winter time yet, uh, and I, I basically don't know how the winter will be, but um, what would you consider be the best thing to do run outdoors even though it's uh, raining and snowing and, and cold uh, or go indoors on the treadmill? I think a healthy balance between the two um, will, will be the most effective use of your time. I think yeah. uh, also for, for integrity of your legs and your ankles and so forth, some, some mm -hmm. treadmill time is fine. But again, okay. staying connected with the outdoors and, you know, and the different environments and weather conditions is all part of who we are. And it makes yeah. you stronger and more resilient either way. Um, yep. And then, of course, hopefully not every single day when you are um, planning a long run will be rainy. <laughs> no, so, exactly. Um, well, I don't mind running outside uh, or, or in the rain. But if this is a blizzard, of course, I will go in. Exactly. Exactly. I think you balance the yeah. two. But the um, I'm a big fan of staying outdoors because the subtle changes in terrain and surface yeah. and so forth keep our ankles and our lower legs strong in a variety of different ways versus the same footing of a treadmill. Yeah, and the same bounce. And exactly. And, 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 and your yeah. planter, your planter muscle and your Achilles yeah. is stressed the same way on a treadmill. And we want changes in that. The muscle is, is not meant to always do the same movement, but to yeah. be stressed in different ways, very subtly side to side in different um, intensities and, and landing points and so forth. Mm. Just, great. just like a horse, a horse would yeah. not do well moving on a treadmill in the same format all the time. It would actually get injured. Um, yeah. Whereas on, on, outdoors and moving even in the dirt even in a on a track it's still every dirt step is a little different side to side forward and backwards and and pressure points and that mm. is more important yeah and and also for the hardening of the hooks because i, I if you just stay in a riding arena or a fully groomed grass field uh, they will get soft and not hard but running riding on gravel or riding on asphalt and then riding on grass and, and 
yeah. sand also it gives the variety of the hor- uh, of the hoof so it will harden itself and the sole will be kind of almost half a centimeter thicker yeah. Yeah. and it will be very hot so that's how they can travel and similarly to your feet different mm-hmm. shoes different terrain different impacts so that it is resilient and strong as well um your uh, the thickness of your skin and the the strength of the cartilage and the bones in your feet do get hardened and stronger as you change impacts not always the same shoes not always the same type of landing space not always the same impact so yeah that's all part of it cool all right well i am in the process I, i i need to buy new shoes again okay uh so i have some more to to switch from because I, I don't feel that uh, the consistency of these shoes and only running in those is not it doesn't feel good in my feet. Yeah, so mix so those up. Mix those up mm-hmm. some some that have very little cushioning, some that yeah. have a lot of cushioning, some, you know, so that your yeah. foot has a different stimulus. Great. All righty. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thanks a lot. Of and, course. Uh, I'm looking forward to start All right, I will get you going. Great. So I'll just uh, because I I've noticed you uh, started with some new logs. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just continue with those and not go through the the other ones that Yeah, so. now continue uh, do the ones that I have on there and now that I know what we're doing, I will yeah. um make the adjustments and um for what what our next adventure is. Great. All righty. Well, I will do that. All right. Take care, Mike. Okay. Bye. Bye. Many ask me about pacing, whether it's for a 50 miler, 100 miler, 100K, all the way down to a half marathon. And of course, all these events require a different approach, different training, um, and also a different mindset with regards to pacing. But I got two specific questions this week from two of my athletes. One is racing a half Ironman. And there, I always like to say, you want to run the run of a half Ironman of a 70.3 as if you're only running for 10 to 11 miles. And then the last two-ish miles are on guts, glory, your own grit, perseverance, how bad you want it. But if you pace the event, the race, the run distance to 10 miles, it makes it a different approach and it ensures that you are putting in your best effort, your smartest effort for the first 10 miles. Now I have somebody else racing a 50 miler and it's her first and she was asking, how do I pace a 50 miler? I always like to say there, you know, you have to start slow for a 50 miler, especially if it's your first you're walking into unknown territory. No matter how well you trained for it, usually you haven't done a 50 miler in training. And in this case, she hasn't come even close to that, but also in the ideal training buildup, you maybe do 35 miles, maybe a 50K in prep. But there you wanna think of it in real simple terms. And I like to think of for ultra running in general, you wanna start at a pace slow enough that you can sustain that energy, that output, that sort of pace, what feels like that pace for the rest of the day. Now, the beauty of that is if you start slow enough, you wanna stay focused 
I'm not slowing down from that. In the, easy, in the beginning, that seems very easy to do, very comfortable, very sustainable. But as we get more fatigued, not slowing down from that slow becomes more of a challenge. It also lines you up well with regards to fluids and um, fuel with regards to your energy levels. You can pay good attention to it if easy becomes too hard, too low on energy slash output, you know fueling and hydrating is clearly an issue if you started easy enough. The beauty of starting easy enough and not slowing down from that means A, you will keep a steady pace throughout and then you can always gauge that for the next 50 mile or next event, next 100 mile, 100K, whatever that is. But also, you have 50 miles of real estate. If at 35 or 40 or 38 miles, you feel like you've started off too easy, you've been holding back too much, and you see the remaining terrain or understand the remaining terrain in front of you and you feel good, you can always speed up. That feels fantastic. There are only upsides to that. There are only upsides with starting too slow, not too slow with regards to two with two O's, but instead of starting nice and slow and maintaining a steady output. No downside to that because you're not slowing down. And by not slowing down, you're actually moving your way forward in the field and against the field. Um, And by also having too much energy late and speeding it up, ensures that, again, you put the best output into those 50 miles. If we come to the conclusion that starting that was too slow to start off, that's always a great problem to overcome for the next race, to deal with for the next race, to understand for the next race. But for now, I can't reiterate enough, starting slow, easier than you think you should, and not slowing down, and always having the option to speed up. I received some really great emails and notes from the last podcast, actually two podcasts ago that I did, that revolved more around reflection and gratitude over the last six weeks of my travels and the people I ran into and what it all meant to me. And, you know, that's the beauty sort of of doing your (laughs) own podcast, right, where you have an opportunity to just go off Um, the usual topics and sort of think a little bit more about how unique and um, special uh, the opportunities that this sport, this lifestyle, um, and the last 20 years of coaching, 25 years of coaching have provided me. But that being said, it's also um, important to highlight that when, when I get those emails, When I get those notes, um, they seem to also reflect the tone and the energy and the passion that I've put into that specific podcast. And what I mean by that is that that one seemed to have returned a different type of question and insight or um, not insight, a different type of question or um, call for help um, from athletes and listeners. And I'm struggling a little bit around the words because I want to be careful as not to make it a a big negative, but more realizing that the more um, uh, vulnerable I made my own commentary with that podcast, the more vulnerable and open and 
um, deeply reflective uh, emails and notes I got back. And I appreciate that. Um, I, I really respect too many of not only my athletes, but the people in this sport and in this world and what they do. Because I have an easier situation in that I work for myself and I work from home. I have the ability to see my kids when I want to see my kids. I don't have to travel that much for my work. Um, I can, it's not brain surgery. Like I can walk in and out of doing the function um, pretty smoothly. I can do work while my kids are around. I can do work from anywhere. So I'm, I, I totally get that. And therefore, hearing how others make this work, how hard they work at it, this ultra endurance quest, adventure, um, journey that they're on, uh, brings about a great amount of uh, pride and respect and care, quite honestly, care for all of you. Because, man, it is hard. And I, I read the, the logs and the training notes and the emails and the phone calls and the insights by people every day on what they sacrifice in order to do this sport. And this sport being anything from an endurance, an ultra-endurance standpoint. But also this sport and for people who are just returning or starting out and and engaging into a healthier, smarter, fitter, um, longevity lifestyle and wanting to invest in themselves, in their future, in their own health, in their ability to be active when they're older, in, in their ability to lengthen the years of being true living people on this planet. Um, and by that, I mean that you're able to uh, move and and play and uh, interact and truly be part of living in in our older years not many of my athletes are teenagers and in their 20s most fall into the late 30s early 40s mid 40s re-engaging into athletic activity re-engaging into wanting to know what they're their body can do after years of whether it's career or building a family or just, you know, shifting to other priorities. And in some cases, not with a sense of guilt, but just with a somewhat of a sense of regret of having let it go and not, not taking the best care of themselves. And I think it's huge, huge that many um, will take that first step and acknowledge it like, like the, you know, um, I work with a lot of former addicts and, and whether it's alcohol or drug or any other aspect of addict because there's many different forms of it. There's exercise addiction. Don't get me wrong. But in, in any shape or form, that first step of acknowledging that you need to make a change, um, that you care more about yourself and, and about being healthy and living with that energy and that fire from the inside out, and, and growing that and being healthier and fitter and smarter and stronger and more vibrant and alive and being able to play better for what we're destined to be as human beings. We're supposed to be alive while we're here on this planet. We're supposed to live it. And, and we're sort of wild primates. I mean, we're, we're, that's, a, that's our evolution. 
and to become sedentary and not be able to move and live and enjoy this incredible machine we call our body. In the years from 40 to 80 to 75 to 100, whatever that is, is would be a shame. And to have an impact and to be talking to anybody, let alone just to me or a few of my athletes, on what a special step that is um, to be healthy, to be fit, to be active, to be alive in this, this world is one of the greatest uh, pieces of pride that I take in doing this podcast and coaching and having a positive impact on people, on all of us, that we get to play more, that we get to uh, grow more as human um, beings, and beings being the key word there, um, the, the animals that we are, right? The, the primates that we are, um, we're destined to move, to play, to be active, to eat healthy, and to live a long and prosperous life in that respect. Prosperous not due to finances, but prosperous due to being able to take in everything in the world around us, from our children to our loved ones to nature, to just soaking up the present moment, the everyday present moment and the beauty that it is. And health and fitness and endurance and an aerobic machine helps us do that. And I know I talk a lot about zone two in the training, but in the end, it's all about allowing you to take on the adventures and live the life and of curiosity and danger and creativity and um, questions and um, self-growth and actual potential and human potential and maximizing potential over the next decades. That's, that's living and that's what I, I love to get stories about. But then that's also the stories I receive on how much sacrifice people are making. And part of that is also, you know, the difficult stories that people share with me and have shared because of the podcast and because of there's times where I do try to connect in that respect of how much you are all doing and how much you all sacrifice. And I try to remind all of you and myself on a daily basis how special and unique it is to do what we do and to be as healthy and fit and uh, fortunate to be um, as uh, to do the exercises we do. I mean, to go on hour and a half, two hour, three hour, four hour runs, to ride our bicycle outside in the fresh air through beautiful terrain, mountains and flatlands and um, countrysides and farmlands. I mean, it's all beautiful, right? Um, to swim outdoors in a lake, in an ocean, to run along the sand, to even swim in a, in a pool outside under the sun and soak in that vitamin D, to be healthy in the outdoors, right? It's one thing to be in the outdoors, but it's another thing to be active and pushing our body that beautiful machine called our body. Um, I heard something the other day about how our body, the machine that it is, is an expression. See, look at that. Struggling to talk. How our body is a machine that expresses our consciousness, right? We have this mind. We have this conscious. We have this soul. And our machine, our body, is the way we express ourselves. If we were just some blurb in a jar of a brain, we wouldn't be expressing ourselves. 
and I know I'm being, you know, very matrix-esque here, but our body is how we express ourselves in the world. I loved how that person put it. It's an expression of our conscious self. And that it's so true. If you think of it like that, we have this wonderful tool. We have this wonderful machine called our body that's been optimized to be outdoors in nature, to run, to hike, to walk, to play, to cycle, to swim, to breathe, to be active, to be alive, to play. Again, once again, it's all play technically. That's cool. And we get to manipulate that with our mind. We get to interact with that and force it to do what we want it to do. And that is cool. And we want that to continue on as we get older. We want that to be just as vibrant and smart and firing and have the same abilities as we have expected and grown it to become. The decline feels awful. And to fight against that and be healthy and fit and active and have a healthy aerobic machine because the aerobic machine allows for the anaerobic machine to work, right? The aerobic machine allows us to take on those bigger, longer adventures. They're the reason why you are listening to this. You know, it's what our mind can create. This machine, this expression of our conscious self allows us to do it. Those legs, those arms, those lungs, it's all because our mind, our conscious self is telling it to do. It creates the dreams. It creates the adventures. It creates the desired outcomes. It creates the goals. And our machine is what expresses it, is what does it. So let's take care of it. That's why I'm in this. That's why many coaches and all of this, this huge industry of health and fitness in order to help that mind allow itself to have a healthy body to express its consciousness, its, its dreams, its future. And, you know, put us on the far edge of what we thought was capable and then reward ourselves with the other side of what, but then we realize, man, we are capable of it. Now, what else am I capable of? I read a quote the other day that, uh, I don't know if it was a quote or it was an expression again, but it was something along the lines of when you, whenever you take on something that's really questionable, really dangerous, really outside of your comfort zone, once you actually achieve it and you're on the other side of it, the reward versus the fear, the danger, the, the uncertainty of it, the anxiety leading up to it, the reward of how you feel on the other side of it is so much greater, so much more rewarding and feels so much better than the, the anxiety or fear or the hardship that you felt going into it. And that's sort of what I relate to ultra endurance, crossing that finish line, achieving what you have worked hard to achieve and trained for and gotten emotionally also caught up in because I don't know a single person who doesn't finish their first 100 miler or something like that and isn't completely emotional after. I was, I totally was so meaningful and so powerful to achieve something like that, to go that long, to go that far uh, through the night and all that. And just, I, there's a zillion stories of not only mine, but 
so many of my athletes and it's emotional. And then that reward and how that sticks with us and how powerful that remains in us is so much more powerful and long lasting and meaningful than the, the insecurity, the fear, the trepidation, the questions, the anxiety of prior to it. Nobody can ever say it was not worth playing in the arena like Teddy Roosevelt talks about man in the arena, right? It is worth all that to have at least felt it, to have at least experienced it, to at least have played in the arena. And that's what we're all doing. Our ultra endurance adventures are putting us into the arena. No, we might not win. We might not always complete it. We might not be super successful, but we're playing in the arena. We're using that amazing machine that we have to express our conscious self. I love it. So with that, I also wanted to acknowledge that a lot of it, this is hard. That's what I was originally saying and the sacrifices with the training. And in many cases, the monotony of the training, right? The daily grind, the difficulty of that. And I get that. I've been there before, but I also try to connect with many of my athletes on the difficulty of the daily grind. And some days in the rain and the darker months, as well as even in the summer, um, uh, emotionally and physically and mentally, we're often exhausted or don't have the proper perspective or this rah-rah moment on getting out the door. And I can talk Clark Kent and Superman as much as I want, but there's just days where we're in sort of in a mini depression um, and we're trying to overcome that. We realize it. We know it shouldn't be like that. We're still grateful and we still get it, but it's still hard. It's still difficult. And the days, um, they move into the next day and, and turns into a week of just being off or unmotivated and so forth. And so the question becomes, what do you do on those days? How do you overcome that why do I feel like that? And I am not a psychologist. I don't, I don't pretend to play one on the podcast or the internet, but I can only go by past of my experiences and I can only go by past learnings with working with athletes and what I've observed. And one is in some cases, it's looking back and acknowledging how much we've achieved or you, the athlete, has achieved that season. And maybe it is time for a break. Maybe it is time for a two, three, four week break to let go, to turn off the edge and to feel how much this means to us and how much it is part of our personality and our daily rhythm and it makes us better. And then understand better that it, the grind isn't necessarily a grind. It's part of our being. It's part of what makes us happy subconsciously. It's part of how we function better in our days and in our um, lives. So that's one aspect. Another aspect is I tell a lot of athletes to write out what this sport truly means for them. If they're just doing it because they want a result or a podium or how they're viewed by their peers or trying to achieve a, a peer group to acknowledge and validate them, those are all different issues and we work through those separately. But the longevity in this sport is because you believe in some of the functions 
that, like I said, ultra endurance allows us, a healthy body allows us, and that it's your daily play, it's your daily opportunity to go inwards, to focus on ourselves, to exhale, to clear out the clutter, to listen to our thoughts, to breathe in sync with our moving body and our elevated heart rate, and to get everything flowing and clear out the pipes. But if you're not experiencing that, yes, of course, there's days you have to force it because you have an outcome in mind in the near future and you need to get through it. But then there's other days, other times where that's not necessary. And it's on those days you want to remember this is a hobby, this is play, this is fun. And that's where I want all of us to have alternatives and outcomes and different solutions towards still being active, still being in the rhythm of doing something every day. Go for a walk. Take your neighbor's dog for a walk if you don't have a dog. They'll appreciate it. Or spend some time working or helping others. Not necessarily even physically, just giving. It makes our, our mood and our own personality so much different. Whether that's coaching or whether that's giving some advice or that's doing some community stuff. I don't know what that is. But again, those are scenarios that I go through with all the athletes. Right. And like I was saying earlier, acknowledging it's been a great season. It's been a great season. I've grown. I've gotten more out of this season where I'm on my path and I'm going to, you know, take the structure away for a month. And I'm going to let my coach, Chris, know that for this month, I just want to take off. I'm going to let's put the coaching on pause, which I've never said no to an athlete to, to put the coaching on pause. Why? Because I want them to enjoy this. I want them to have fun with this. I want them, this to be, I mean, of course, every coach wants this to be the best part of their day, right? My activity with you, my athlete, slash my client, being the best part of your day, that's awesome. That, that makes me happy, of course. But if it's not, I'm not, I don't want the training to be a cause of stress or anxiety or negative energy for you. I want it to be of empowerment, of vitality, of growth, of self-care, of health, of fitness, of, you know, everything in your body recharging, feeling better after the workout than you did going into the workout. And I know in 99% of the cases, that's the case. And even those that are questioning their continued work with this or are having the not depressive, but down weeks, you still feel better after. But maybe we take the edge off. Maybe we do some different activities. Maybe we take out any intervals and just go out and explore. You know, I tell a lot of people on recovery weeks, and I made a point of this in the past, of when I was training big miles, that on my recovery weeks, on Saturdays or Sundays, I would surely ride with people, make sure I had the social aspect, but also make those turns and make those stops at stores or down a road that I've never gone down or I always wondered about where I wanted to go. I do that in the off season, especially. I take my fitness that I've built and I say, I want to take that trail. I've always wondered what's down that trail. Or I've always wanted to stop at this store or stop here and have a baguette or whatever. Or, you know, have a cup of coffee and sit at this overlook. Or put my bike down here and go sit on that rock and just hang out here on this mountain or ride here with Emily and we just, you know, have a picnic, take a backpack, just mix things up, 
do things differently, right? Allow for the mind and the soul and the body to have a different stimulus, a different perspective of doing this. Because we can't train seriously 365 days a year. It's not possible. No Olympic athlete does it like that. No high-level athlete does it like that. No ultra-endurance athlete does it like that. They go through training phases and waves. And yours might be shorter. Yours might only be three, four months, and then you need a break. Others might be six, seven months, they need a break. Others might be 10 months, they need a break. But we need those waves. We need those waves of activity. So I have so many more emails here that I'm going to get into, but that was a good start for this week's sort of responses to some emails. This seems to be a great week with regards to, there it is, regards, one of the emails or notes I got saying, you say regarding and regards a lot. So caught myself again. Um, one of the emails I received this week was very similar to many of the questions and commentary that I might want to go over with somebody who wants to have a phone call. But I feel this week is a good week to catch back up on training insights and how to build sort of towards an event. And again, these are my ways that I would coach or I would prepare for an event, um, in this case, going longer than a 50K. It's not the only way. And there's plenty of resources, books, magazines, trail runner mag, you know, online sites that really highlight um, a good training plan um, that will get you there for sure. And that's what I often say. Um, my coaching isn't some sort of, um, you know, new um, methodology or something so unique or rare that you can't, it's the same thing, not the same thing, but it's similar to in the outcomes and results you'll get from a book or from a magazine or from a website. I hope my coaching isn't about the X's and O's. I hope my coaching is about the full package of being there to help you navigate how your training plan does not fit the typical book magazine website and how we navigate through your limited training time in order to maximize your results, how to keep you injury free, how to keep you healthy and motivated, how to keep you supported, have someone to answer those questions, have someone to provide insights or updates or build some unique things into your training plan. So, um, yeah, I don't want to pretend or make it sound like, and in general, I've said this before on the podcast, don't let any coach tell you that they have some unique, actually, don't let anybody in any walk of life tell you that they have some unique, unbeatable, super rare system to help you. It's usually the whole picture that's painted with regards to coaching, which I know best, it's the relationship, it's the communication, it's the support, it's the back and forth, it's knowing you and therefore maximizing you. There's athletes that are frustrated as anything with me that I coach. And they're frustrated with me because I don't communicate enough with them. Yeah, now you might be looking, or some of you listening might be saying, yeah, that's right. But my point in coaching is that 
you learn to do this. You need to do this on your own. You need to go through these trials and tribulations and insights and observations and aha moments and growth on your own. It's your adventure. You're going to be on that run course on your own for a marathon when things get difficult. You're going to be in the forest or in a mountain at two in the morning running that hundred miler. You're going to be in some very difficult situations and I'm not going to be standing there. This isn't a traditional sport where somebody stands by you every lap in a 400 or the mile or at the track, right? To, to guide you, to pace you, to help you work through things. This is ultra endurance and endurance sports. It's you. It's you against you basically, right? And the more we learn that, the more we come to understand that, the more we grow into that, and the more we realize that the insights need to come to me. I need to recognize them. I need to grow with them. I need to understand them. I need to adapt to them. I need to apply them. And then the coaching revolves around all right, now that you've understood that, now that you've observed that, now let's take it to this level and tell me what you see there and so forth. So, and you could hear that in the earlier interview and talk, not interview, in the discussion with Mikel, right? We, we, I didn't know we were going to record this. That's how the discussion goes, sort of like we started you on a very basic plan and now you understand things totally different. Doesn't mean I'm going to talk to him more. It means that he has a different perspective and understanding of the things he needs to do on his own towards um, becoming a better athlete. I read the other day in um, Harvard Business Review, actually, a great definition of coaching. And I wrote it down, or actually I saved it to my Evernote, because I felt it applies in just what we're talking about here, right? The definition of coaching is unlocking a person's potential to maximize their own performance. And this is with regards to management and leadership. But I love that. Unlocking you, the athlete's potential. That's our training. That's our consistency. That's me trying to keep you on a path and, and repeating and growing and understanding and insights and applying to maximize their own performance, to maximize your performance. It is helping them to learn rather than teaching them. So me telling you to, what to do on every step of the way is not you learning. It's me just teaching. It's me just telling you. It is helping them to learn rather than teaching them. When done right, coaching can also help with employee engagement in this case, right? It is more often more it is often more motivating to bring your expertise to a situation than be told what to do. That's it. That captures it too. It is more motivating for you, the athlete, to grow this expertise, to grow how it works for you, to grow how this understanding works and how this under um, ultra endurance training works and how your body works, how it reacts, what it needs, what the stimulus are for you. And then, like I always say, we individualize it more and more based off what you're observing, not just some basic plan out of a book or a magazine or a website, which basically we all start with. But then the honing down and drilling down is basically you bringing your expertise, you, N plus one, you, to the situation rather than being told what to do. 
rather than me just telling you what to do. Now, I get the feedback a lot on coaching. Well, the what, reason I pay for this because I don't want to have to think about what to do. I want that off my uh, list of to-dos and that I can wake up in the morning and know what training to do. Yes, well, that I deliver, of course. But that doesn't mean you don't need to engage mentally in what you are doing. I'll tell you what to do based off the insights you gave me, based off the expertise you're noticing of yourself, right? That's what coaching is. Harvard Business Review, I think, in August. So if it's August, that means it's probably the July issue. I thought that was fascinating. So it entails listening, which the commentary and the logs do. It regards it includes questioning, where I ask more details and get more insights as to what you're observing. It's about giving feedback, yes. It's assisting with goal setting. I think we do that. And the interesting thing there is a lot of athletes athletes ask me if I help them write their season or choose races for them. Absolutely not. That's not something I do. That is not something I do. I believe in the athlete finding the event and the goals and the season around that. And then I will give them my opinion. I will say, yeah, that might not be a good idea because look what's lined up here or look at what time of year it is and look what type of fitness will have built. But I am very rarely, as many of you know, one to say, no, don't do that. I believe if you want to do something, if you have a goal, if you have a desired outcome to achieve something, who am I to tell you that you can't, that you shouldn't? Now I will work with you on expectations versus reality. I will work with you on the timeline and trying to get you healthy in order to get to the start line. I will work with you and I will not be perfect. No, I have broken athletes before. Um, you know, usually I know there's caution out there and I have pointed to that caution and then the athlete breaks and it's not a, I told you so, but it surely is. Yeah, I was concerned about this big buildup and we talked about it, but you wanted to do it anyway. But again, I don't tell the athlete, no, I tell the athlete, all right, this is what I think. Are you? And then often the conversation goes around, are you, do you think I'm capable of doing it? And again, I totally believe we're capable of doing almost anything. Again, by when? And then secondly, also how fast or, you know, how quickly over, let's say a 50 miler. Like if you want to do it in a certain time or result or respectable outcome, well, that changes the definition of can I do it? Can you do a 50 miler with walking and running and hiking? Yeah, we'll get you ready for that. But what is your vision? How do you see yourself doing it? Right? So anyway, that's a long intro <laughs> to this email that I got from one of my former athletes. And I know the podcast is getting a little bit long here, but I wanted to address some things in there. And maybe it's too much. Maybe it's a two-part series. Um, it's from an ex-athlete of mine, but we still stay in touch. I would say most of my ex-athletes stay in touch with me and just check in occasionally with some input advice or some cool websites or some cool article or something like that. Um, he just did a 50K with the existing fitness of swim, bike, and run training with a few big trail runs thrown in. 
My training is anywhere from about four to six days a week with longer workouts focused on the weekends. Seems to work well with my existing work schedule. But after finishing the 50K just recently, it's September 15th right now, I know I need to add more fitness and structure to my schedule, with I'm okay, which I'm okay with. Yes, 50 miler is a bigger event. In general, we want to think of a 50 miler as a 10 plus hour run. So that's a lot of pounding and breakdown on the body. And so it does require a smarter prep. 10 hours of running, um, the lead up creates the injuries. The lead up creates the stress fractures. The lead up creates the issues in the foot and the body because it's a new load and it usually is going up too quickly. So here come the questions of where to go from here to prepare properly, mindfully, and come out on the other end with some bigger fitness and feeling stronger. He had asked me to talk to me or what it would take to, for me to coach him again with regards to a 50 miler. I said, you know, you know most of this. Again, back to the coaching and educating. I'd rather set him free, for lack of a better description, and just send me some questions and then build it on his own. He did a 50K on his own. Maybe he can do the rest on his own. Um, and then if that he needs more, then we can talk about coaching again. But maybe he can do this on his own. So I said, why don't you send me some questions and I'll answer them on the podcast. So can I continue with some big swims and cycling is the first question. Of course, right? We've talked about that many times before. And his name is Bob. Bob, you know that we've talked about this before. The heart doesn't care what event you're doing. Jumping jacks, swimming, cycling. Well, swimming it knows differently. But cycling, running, jumping jacks, rowing, hiking, whatever. If you're in the aerobic zone, that heart is working and pumping, doing the same thing that it needs to be doing for your 10, 12, 13-hour event run. Right? Let's just let's just go by the numbers that we say your event's going to take you 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours. So yeah, you can totally do some big swims and cycling. And what works out really well in 50 mile and 100 mile training for those that have a triathlon background, I often say, you know, let's throw in a swim week. You know, give the joints and the body a break and primarily just swim this week. Maybe do some core, some stretch work, some body work, some recovery work and stuff like that. But keep the engine going with, let's say, six swims in a week. Gets us into a less loaded on the body weight situation and also, you know, keeps that aerobic conditioning high. Now, the cool thing about swimming, as I've talked about before, is it has an ex uh, has an accelerating effect because you're also limiting your breathing. So now you're creating a, a, a little bit of an accelerator with regards to building up fitness. But you can't use that as a, well, I swam a lot, therefore I can run a lot. No, it's the pounding and the muscle use and the cartilage and the body and the neuromuscular firing and so forth that you still need to maintain. But an occasional week here or an occasional recovery day here and there for long swims or long bikes, absolutely. And so I would structure that in um, every few weeks, a swim only week or every few weeks, a cycle only week, right? The body's still getting great conditioning. I would say the best I've ever felt in a, um, when I ran a hundred miler, my, what, I think it was my first, yeah, it was my first hundred miler. I did a coast ride. So five days of cycling, 500, uh, a little bit more than five, 585 miles in, you know, five days, um, a week or 10 days prior to my first hundred miler. And I felt amazing at the hundred miler, um, because I think that 
eight hours a day of in the saddle, keeping the heart going, engaged, but taking a rest and the load off my legs, but yet still keeping them powerful and engaged made a huge difference in that. And as I prep for New Zealand and this training with regards to the six day event, which is a little different because it's 25 miles a day loaded with all your gear, um, it's a different tax, I will still build in recovery days on the bike and I will surely continue to swim. Am I based, am I, uh, and am I basing my training on mileage or time based on what I've been using time for the most part? That was question two. Um, well, you need the miles, right? You do need to get ready for 50 miles. And this is where it switches over. Again, you're getting ready for a 10 to 12 hour event, but it's 50 miles. So I would definitely build up the ability to run 30 35 miles in one chunk. And then many of you have heard my approach with regards to ultra training, and that is condensing the amount of miles you plan to run in as short of a window as possible. And many of you know this from my marathon training, and that is morning and evening and morning and evening runs. That's four sessions in 20 in 48 hours, right? Um, if in 48 hours you can get in, you know, 40 miles, 50 miles, that's a pretty good simulation because then rested, you will feel good getting in 50 miles all at once. The rest and recovery is limited in between and you know, that way you get a chance to still get in the miles in a short window, not fully recovered on somewhat tired legs but not completely plowed and therefore risking injury. So I would build up my mileage for sure Gradually, very gradually, please, because, you know, again, 50 miles is almost double of what that 30 miles, 31 miles is for the um, 50K and everything beyond the 30 miles, 25 miles is just pure injury waiting to happen. So be very delicate in the buildup. Have been running zone two and run walking as well. Absolutely. Just time on the legs gradual build of time on the legs. If that's zone two and walking as well, very smart. Most 100 mile runners and 50 milers, but most 100 mile runners are surprised how much hiking and walking they end up doing for an ultra run, right? You think you're getting ready for an ultra run, but it's actually an ultra run hike. Whether it's the 100 milers, the big ones like Wasatch or um, Leadville or even Western States, or so, you end up walking a lot of the time. And so your ability to walk, hike well is key for that. How about strength training? Absolutely some strength training because again, we want the legs strong and some joints and some muscle structure, the full on body, the chassis strong. And that goes from the shoulders all the way down to the toes. And that's because you have a pack on and you're tired and you're using your upper body to keep you moving forward. You are using your arms, you are using your entire midsection and core to keep you firing strong. You want a full on strong chassis. Stability throughout the structure is what I would recommend. How long can we build this base? My race will be in May 2019. Excellent. I would space out where I would want the 35 mile run, where I want the 30 mile run, where I want a 25 mile run. Maybe even with that much time, I would even maybe schedule a 38 mile run or a 40 mile run somewhere in there. 
and then work around that so that creates the skeleton of the structure and then continue to have long weekends of hikes also built into the structure and then just time on the legs right you know going from sunrise to sunset maybe not quite that long but going for an eight hour hike right four out have lunch for back, just time on the legs, way less pounding, way less likelihood for injury, but learning to just be steady and active for that long. All right, that allows plenty of time to gradually build. You just did 31 miles. So maybe in six, seven weeks that you build up to 35 miles. And then another three, four, five weeks after that, you know, build up to 40 miles. And then Pull back to 35 miles, but do it stronger and better and feel more in control and good energy throughout and so forth. Um, it's a 20K loop not far from me, so I run there a lot. Well, brilliant. So now you're doing a 50 mile or is I think 80K, so you're doing four 20K loops. Great. So get on that loop and practice. I would definitely maybe even prep if it's important enough to you two or three 20K loops, and then leave that last 20K loop for race day. I would not do the full distance for the race prior to the race. There's no need for that. And again, we don't want that exponential um, uh, concern for injury and likelihood. Keep in mind, for a 100-miler, I would not even do more than 40 miles at once in a, uh, for a single run. So I would be very smart as to not go over 35-ish miles like that's for the advanced ultra runner you can do 40 because your body's familiar with it it's done maybe a 100 miler before or a multiple 50 milers or a 100k so you know we've been in that realm and so pulling back and still doing 40 miles controlled is good right what you can also do is um run 20 miles hike an hour or something like that or hike in at two hours and then run another 20 miles, right? Or not even that, that sorry, that's so too far. Um, let's say you run 15, hike, you know, five to seven, and then run another 15. So that you're, you're extra time on your legs through the hike, but you're not quite pounding that long. So there's ways to mix that in too. Something like um, even an hour, two hour run, one hour hike, two-hour run, one-hour hike. Now, you just did six hours on your legs. It's getting closer in your prep towards a 50-miler. But again, giving your body a break, using that hour hike to fuel up and hydrate and just turn the brain off a little bit and then go back to running. The key is re-engaging the running when we're somewhat tired and fatigued and a little groggy, right? That's a good time to say, all right, here we go. This is the next two hours. But you'll find as you get ready for ultra running in general, you just get comfortable with longer periods of long runs. What what used to be daunting two, three hours turns into, oh, I'm only going two, three hours because your mind has gotten more comfortable around four, five, six hour runs. So um, should I insert another 50K race in there before my um, beforehand to test my fitness? Sure. Why not? I mean, it's, that's a 31-mile day, so maybe do one of those in March in order to just see how you're progressing along and how you're feeling. It just makes the training weekend uh, more organized and easier to do. Um, 50K races don't necessarily have to be these aggressive all-out runs, so just make it a training day.
Maybe let's say on March 50K, I would do it on a Saturday. And then the next day, follow it up with a 10 mile um, flat um, trail run where you increase the leg turnover, right? Now you did 31 the day before in a race in a steady setting. And then you follow it up with 10 the next day and a little bit less stress due to no hills, but higher turnover, firing the legs a little bit. You had a night of recovery and food. And so, again, you're not fully recovered, but you're doing some better quality, good posture, form, light on the feet work the next day. That helps with, again, building the confidence of, I did 41 miles in a matter of 30 hours. So therefore, when I'm rested, I can do 50 in, you know, 10 to 12 hours, whatever that is. Um, are there, are there lays the next? What about my fitness? I'm assuming a Tesh. Oh, are there ways the next? Huh? What about my fitness? I'm assuming a test should be done of some sort. Um, yeah, ultra running, not really. Um, it's not really that necessary just because you're out there just for a steady long day. And guess what? If you're feeling good, run faster. Not hard, but in your training days, there'll be days where you feel really good for a 20 mile run. And so maybe just wind it up a little bit there and see maybe what a new normal steady all day pace is versus two, three months ago. And maybe you notice, huh, at the same output effort level perceived exertion, I'm now running, you know, 30 to 45 seconds faster per mile. So and maybe that's where I need to be then. And maybe that's where my heart rate had me settle. But what you'll notice on long ultra runs in general is that they tend to really set up to tell you what your go all day heart rate is. I mean, you just have so much time. The heart rate goes into a very narrow range of maybe five, seven, 10 beats that you'll find over time is where it always is. Um, fresh, rested, whatever. It's just too long to be out there that the freshness goes away after two, three hours and you're back to that same heart rate range. So those will give you good numbers. Um, I'll try to finish up here. We're an hour and a half in. So um, weight is hanging around 180 to 183. So I have to, I've bulked up for my triathlon days. Well, yeah, the training hours should help that. And again, don't obsess about it, but just allow it to naturally settle in. And if, if you need to do it at 175, so 10 to 12 pounds heavier than um, your triathlon days, so be it. You know, you're not looking to win. But if those extra pounds means you're healthy and you're absorbing calories and your nutrition and your bones are strong and support muscular structure is strong, good. Then that's fine. It's totally fine. How many recovery weeks in this type of build? Well, you know that. You'll learn that and recover more than you think pull back more than you think you have time, right? If you're feeling shelled and overwhelmed and tired and fatigued and exhausted, take a couple of days. It's running. Again, you're not looking to win this event. You don't need to nail it in any type of tight window of achieving 20-minute time window or a 30-minute time window. It's an adventure. You've never done a 50-miler. Just go out and do it in a healthy, sustainable manner. Um, recovery between running events. Again, you know, events like these, but after a 50 miler, it'll take you six, four to six weeks to really get your um, legs back. After Attilo, the first 10 days, two weeks, even though it was not that deeply challenging of an event, I was still off. I kept saying to Emily, like, 
yeah, my energy is just weird. I'm not sleeping the same. I don't have the same oomph. I just, I feel off. Um, something's off. And it, it, you know, maybe it was the event. Maybe it was something else. But now I feel good again. And it's it's clear. I'm, I'm very familiar with how I need to feel, how I need to bounce back from training sessions and wake up in the morning and the energy I have in the afternoon and stuff like that. So, yeah. Who knows, maybe time changes and the racing and so forth. But you know, listen to your body. Calories running, 200 to 250. Yeah, but you'll find the further you go into an ultra running event, the more calories you start desiring. You just end up wanting to eat all the time because you're getting further and further into the deficit, right? As we've talked about before, in ultra endurance events and anything longer than three, four, five, six hours, since you're only replenishing about 30% of the calories and you're at a basically out of your glycogen stores after two, three hours, and then you're only replacing about 30% of it, well, four or five more hours into it, guess what? <laughs> now you're really low on calories. And no, you can't eat more because that the stomach just doesn't allow it. But you know, nothing dramatic. It's not like you can sit there and eat 60% of your um, burned calories. But you start noticing that you want to just, you're able to just forage more through the the food that you bring and you eat it quicker and that your needs go up the further and longer you're out there. So it might go up to 300, 350 calories some hours. So uh, electrolytes, I'm assuming 500 or so every second hour. Um, I would just mix those up. I mean, again, do the pH sweat test. Um, precision hydration will tell you basically what you need and then alternate based off water, based off need, based off what tastes good and drinks good. That'll give you a good insight of your needs. And all this, I can obviously talk through you in a more specific way. Um, yeah, I think that's it, coach. Um, you might want to do an Ironman sometime next year and chop off some more time. It's 50th birthday, all kinds of stuff. Uh, cheers to Craft IPA. He knows I love beer. So, um, yeah, I think that answered it all. I hope that had some value to it. And I think it did. Many, many are curious about this build into their first 50 miler or also 50K. But those are the high level concepts that you want to think through. Build that skeleton. Take a look at it. Does it make sense? Do I have recovery in there? And then, of course, nothing is permanent. No plan needs to be set. So if you feel your body is not absorbing it, adapting it, build in more recovery, right? Um, that's why I like events very far out, six, seven, eight months in the future, because it allows you to learn about your body and, and when you go into training that it's not familiar with. If you're doing the same thing you've always done, well, then we can risk some short, uh, the events in a shorter time frame. The other thing too is, you know, it's an adventure. Learn about your body. That's what we were saying before. Learn, learn, educate yourself. It's your machine. It, you know, it's so amazing to learn more about what you're capable of and how this machine works. You, yourself, your own little um, environment of who you are. So understand that. That's awesome. That's great. So as always, I have a lot of emails coming in here. Um, that's the uh, furthest one back, but I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven emails with questions and preseason and shin splints and um, broken femurs and all kinds of training questions, and I'm going to get through them. Um, there's a lot of podcasts coming up, so 
And it's that time of year. It's the preseason. Um, it's sort of when things start switching over and uh, people want to start building their, their, their season and their schedule and their life. And again, on all this, you guys, as I close out this week, just remember this is your lifestyle. Don't take it so seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. We'll get there. We, even if you're not my athlete, we will get there because you're on a growth path. You're on a path of progression. You will achieve all those goals, but you'll only get frustrated and demoralized and motivated, demotivated if you get injured or your body doesn't um, respond with you. So take your time, listen to it, grow with it, understand it. Err on the side of being conservative because you're still moving forward. And those adventures are not going anywhere. We can always find another adventure. And so with that, have a great week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. A lot of good info in there. And guess what? I think I might be putting out a newsletter um, here for all the listeners and athletes and past athletes and people who have inquired. It's a pretty substantial list of people in the meantime. And you know, just some just some short tidbits that I would send out every, you know, not every week. I'm not that organized or structured, but um, you know, every couple of weeks, sending out a short newsletter saying, you know, what's up and some favorite workouts and some cool races and some updates and some quotes and some cool books or reading that's going on and you know, sort of a different type of weekly word. So. Have a great week, everybody. Keep sending me your feedback and questions. I love it. Um, it's been very, um, not not emotional is the wrong, uh, inspiring um, the, what you all have been sharing and how you're opening up and, and, and sharing your thoughts and your growth in this and your appreciation, but also, you know, telling me that I say regards, regarding and... <laughs> that too much. I love it. I got that and I started laughing because it's true. Absolutely. Let me know what I stink at. So, hey, I'm the one telling my kids all the time, attention to detail. So if you guys point it out, I can, I can handle it. So have a great week, everybody. And I will talk to you soon. A lot to get through. Bye.